Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. Uh, we are the 2001 Mariners of Seahawks Podcasts. So I am Ichiro Suzuki, joined as always by the Edgar Martinez to my Ichiro Suzuki. That's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Busting out the light bat Edgar uh, impression. I love it. All right. And our Brett Boone behind you me. Bastard. <laughs> I was like, this guy better not call me Brett Boone. Oh, Kaboon! How dare you? Rethink this. Eric, Eric, I knew you would hate it, so you can the be Dan Aaron Seeley. Can I be... I'm an innings eater. Ca- Carlos Guillen? Mike Mike Cameron? Who's Mark McElmore? I could be the Charles Gibson. <laughs> All right. Al Martin. Don't ask me. Ask the players. Al Martin, I played football for USC. Trust me. Uh... <laughs> Hey man, Brett Boone hit like forty-four home runs that season, dog. You on gotta... roids and five foot five. Move on. Okay. So, uh, hey man, you got these steroids to get swole. So, the, well, while we're having fun over here, the Seahawks were not having fun last Sunday. That's that's a that's a good transition, right, guys? I did it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. weren't having okay. fun either last Sunday. Um, so, Kevin, I, you were you, at the game. You know. Yep. Kevin, you were at the game. Uh, you made some nice tweets before the game started. Uh, some nice tips for people that go to a game, and then the game started. And then about 15 minutes after that, the game ended. So, what was no, it I can, like? I can vouch it just longer than what that. Was it like for, what was it like in the stadium, though? Before, uh, let me let me do a pre-question. What was it? Was it any different, like before the game started? Like as the kickoff happened, was the energy off? No, energy was up, crowd-wise and everything. Uh, I apologize with the consideration. I was at the game. Uh, my voice is a little off. I was uh, sobbing. By about the end of the third quarter, so you know my my voice just isn't quite there. Um, we did, going into half down thirty four nothing, and I think was not quite what we had uh, we had planned. You know, here's the thing: as a fan of the team, and you know, uh, so uh, executive producer Brett uh, was uh, his tickets were provided, and so um, at the game in the Hawks Nest, and all the way up until twenty to nothing. There was still like this feeling in the crowd of this could still, and then they scored again. And everyone's like, "No, this we're, we're screwed." All the way up until twenty to nothing, though the the feelings were predominantly, you know, the team has a shot at coming back, and then you know it's just. Can I do this real quick? Uh, yeah, I wrote down the results of every drive. For the uh, Seattle Seahawks, mm. I would just like to read those out real quick oh, with I, a, a few slight notes. Okay, because because I, I actually was prepared to do this as well, Kevin. So I'm I'm right there with you. Hit uh, it! All right, we have a fumble, punt, 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 fumble, punt, end of first half. That was really depressing. Nathan, would you like to take the second half? Oh sure, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, safety, punt, end of game. Uh, hey, we scored twice in the second let me, half. Let me make something clear to you. <laughs> okay, is that for many years I would have said, "Well, we're punting, but we have the one of the best punters in the league." That is not the case anymore. Uh, after watching that game, I was like, "I got a deep dive. Like, what is John Ryan up to this season? He is in the bottom five in the NFL in almost any punting metric you can throw out there. He's 38 years old. Like, at some point, he's going to start to show the signs of his age, and I think we're there. I think we wow. are at the point where." Where uh, he can't just turn the field by himself anymore. He's no longer a, a punt god, you know. So. Uh, the first part of the game, he, uh, the first quarter, he was actually kicking into the wind, and that clearly was a factor. But season long, there's a multitude of issues. He's probably getting about, he's getting probably three less yards than he used to. I mean, like in, you said, he's getting a little older. In net, punts, our coverage is yeah, not good. Our coverage is not good. Net punt yards, thirty-eight point five yards a punt. That That's is bad. good for 29th in the league, only better than Tressway of Washington and Brad Wing of New York. Uh, if you just look at like average punt distance, he's right down there towards the bottom. You know, he's like he's at 45.1 average yards. Like he, he's uh, though again, he's part of that quite... is how often is he being asked to kick from his own team's 45, sure, like, I mean. which does shorten up your kicks. Like I think there's reasons why. I don't think he's the weak link, but we're also uh. not paying him. Like he's a weak link. He's he's a thirty eight year old veteran. He's getting paid decently for a punter. Right. He makes almost three million dollars a year. Like That's he, something you have to consider. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of money to give to a punter. That is uh, three point. He he'll make three point two million dollars next year. He's going to be in that Hauschka category next year, and I hate to see him go. But it's that time, and he's thirty six. You know, like this is 
I don't know. I I don't. I didn't understand it at the time when we decided to pay a punter close to. It's going to be three point two and then three point six. So like it's a close super to luxury three contract. And a, three and a half million dollars a year. Like I thought, John Ryan's really good, but he's a, he's a, at the end of the day he's a punter. Well, locked and if him you up. Want to, if you want to see how a team can retool, you want to see how a team can retool a special teams with very little resources. Why don't you look right across to the other side of the field where sixth round pick and undrafted free agents Greg Zerline and whoever the punter is for Los Angeles didn't catch it because they didn't really have to use him. Uh, is <laughs> is are ripping it up. They are killing us over there in their kicking game and their punting game. And we are paying our kicker $3.2 million. And we have a guy who in Blair Walsh who maybe he's not that, but he was a highly regarded punter coming out of college. You know, we've invested some resources in that and it's not, it's, we're not getting much return at this point. Or it's a, it's a, either a misappropriation of funds or it's just a, it's just, it's not working the way we want it to. Our special teams is ranked 23rd in the NFL. There's a reason. This is how bad the season has gotten, by the way, where we are picking apart the special teams, and not just the coverage, which is bad, but our punter. That's, uh, bless your heart, Kevin. Look, I love John Ryan. Like, he's, I know. he's funny. He's personable. He has been a great Seahawk. He's 2009 a, Seahawks MVP. Seriously, he was the MVP of the team in 2009. No joke. But, like, everyone has a time when they start to get worse or things start to affect them. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's old. Like, I don't know what the deal is. Either way, his performance on the field is not $3.2 million next year good Does yeah that, that makes sense like that's that's what i'm saying if you look at dvoa the amount of dvoa we've we've gotten from punts is second worst in the league only to the giants negative 12.6 uh and we we aren't making it up anywhere else right we're 30th in the league in hidden yards which is the the stat that that uh, football outsiders made up for special teams hidden yards that third phase of the game that no one talks about and it and i, I want to pick them apart in every aspect because this is the kind of performance where you're going to run into every aspect of the game the seahawks failed and looking specifically at the punting game that low punt with the huge punt return i mean that was a low punt and then yeah it sets up a huge return and then and yeah there were chronic problems with blocks in the back not being called that's not enough of an excuse no it, there were there were problems they there. can call block on the back on almost every return play and sometimes you're gonna get it and sometimes you aren't you know it just it is what it is so you can't you can't just bitch and moan about that and people will also say this they'll say oh well our starters play on special teams so when our starters get hurt our, maybe maybe the reason our starters are all hurt is because they play on special teams other teams train and bring guys in specifically to play that role we have one of those guys DJ Alexander and that we need more guys like that and less of us being like oh well Cam is supposed to play on special teams no he's not like, we should have depth. That, we have Nico Thorpe. Yeah. That we should have a over. lot of Nico Thorpes. That should be over. We should be playing their special teamers like everyone else because it keeps guys healthy. And that's the problem with this team right now is this team is not healthy. I guess if you're bitching about Thursday night games, then you can make an equal case for playing your starters on special teams, right? Yeah. Uh, so should we start deconstructing the offense or the defense first, Nathan? I think we should deconstruct the defense first because the LA Rams ran the ball 43 times for 244 yards, which is literal insanity. Uh, we went into this game thinking that this this team is a Seattle Seahawks is a good run defense, and yes, KJ Wright's hurt, Cam Chancellor's hurt, Bobby Wagner looked like one half of a normal Bobby Wagner. He was yep. not good in this game and and it sucks because up, up until this point he's been the defensive player of the year so it, it kind of it was not fun to see him you know lose his power like that but the defense was uh did not hold up their end of the bargain in any way and if anyone wants to just blame the offense for this they're sorely mistaken um, i think there's a couple of factors you want to look at um in the first half this is where and this is very important because this is the offense's fault um this is where and the special teams this is where the Rams started their drives. Seahawks 40, 50-yard line, Seahawks 1. Wait, because a punt return, right? Right? That's another one they started on the 1? Yep. After the, coming out the punt return? That punt return, by the way, just go watch that playback. Oh, my uh, gosh. It's like the it's lowest bad. punt, and then and then when he catches the punt, it's just like, oh. They and just... somebody uh, whiffs right away. It Yeah. Uh, Rams 20. That was Michael Wilhoit's interception. Mm-hmm. So that's the only one that didn't result in points. Uh, Seattle 36, Seattle 39, Seattle 47. So they now, started all but one drive in the first half, either on the 50 or in Seattle territory. So, Kevin, does that remind you of any football teams that we've been talking about for the last four years on the Internet? Right. 
The Rams went out and they did the Seahawks game plan, which is play field position, run the ball, and beat them with your speed and athleticism. They executed our game plan on us. They went into our stadium and beat us at our own game. Yep. I mean, I've never seen anything like this since uh, in the, since the Pete Carroll era started, where the Seahawks have a, a style they want to play, and we are one. We are so far away from that style. Our defense can't stop. I mean, in the old days, even on those short fields, those defense, the defense would have been able to turn those into field goals, right? You guys will always remember which they turned yeah. the first two into, but yeah. after that, they just couldn't hold it. You stop, you stop them, and you you get field goals. Now we can't even get field goals. By the end of the first half, this game was over. It was. Over, over, 34-0. Like, there's no, there's nothing left. We've seen this team try to come back from leads like that, like against Carolina, but it just, it's too much. You dug yourself too big of a hole. Also, those games were away. I was telling Kevin on the way over here, there was a game in 2004, I think. It was a home game against the Buffalo Bills, and we were down something like 24-7 to at the half. And to open up the half, the Seahawks received the ball, and the Bills did an onside kick and then scored after the on the first play making it, you know, something like 31 to 7. And that was the last time I can remember an ass whooping this bad at home. Yeah, and I mean being at the game and watching, you know, it's uh they got it on the Seahawks 40, got a field goal. Got it on the on the 50-yard line, got a field goal. Uh there's the return on, and they had it on the one, they punched in for the touchdown. And it's 13 nothing. Then he throws the interception. And it's 13 nothing. you're like, man, if we can swing momentum and nothing. That was when uh, Fetty had the false start and we were just going backwards and we punted it. And there was no momentum. And you could almost argue that drive killed the team. And what we've seen all year, really. And do you, do you know what this game kind of reminded me of? I know I'm getting, maybe I'm getting a little off track here, but it reminded me of of the Thanksgiving game against San Francisco, where he won 19 to three. And the game, I mean, that's not a, that's not as big of a blowout, but the game that game was never particularly close. And it just felt like at that point we had like we had put the 49ers behind us, right? Like we had it was the passing of the torch, so to speak. Yep. And this felt a little bit like that, where the Rams came in and they said. They're young, they're hungry, and they said, we need to go in here and make a statement that this is our division now. The division goes through Los Angeles. And they successfully made that statement, really, really, really definitively made that statement. Because you might want to sit there and go, oh, you know, Goff didn't have that great of a day. He only threw for 120 yards. Uh, He had a pick. He only had 5.7 yards per pass play. But you know what? Woods had six receptions for 45 yards. They were able to get the important catches to move the sticks whenever they needed them. They didn't need their pass game today. So they didn't use their pass game today. When are you going to pass when you're running the ball 43 times, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, Tavon Austin had 4.4 yards per carry on 10 carries against us. They they, they ran all over us. They gave Tavon Austin some burn at the end of the game. They were like, let's try this out. What's what's it like if Tavon Austin's our running back? And it was like, still fine. (laughs) Yeah, I also want to bring this up. Uh, So Todd Gurley made hay over the left side. Runs off left end or left tackle. 13 carries for 93 yards. I mean, we could not stop runs to the left, Andrew Whitworth, and they knew they were coming. Andrew Whitworth was a, a beast in this game. Frank Clark embarrassed him in the first game. You could tell he was out to write that ledger. Yeah, and then he, he nothing got past him in this game. Like he he looked every bit the uh, Pro Bowl big ticket signing that the Rams thought they were getting uh, in when in the offseason when they signed him. He was fantastic, and he's the kind of player that. You know, you wish the Seahawks had a player like that, right? Like, we just don't. They bring in Whitworth and Sullivan, and now all of a sudden their offensive line is great. Like, that that would never happen. That seems like it would never happen for us. Well, that's because, you know. Tom they, Cable. They had faith yes. in, in what we were building with George Fant and Jermaine Fetty. Sure. I mean, they, we, we may bring in a guy, but, you know, we're, we're going to build what we have. Um, all right. So- also, the Rams ran 71 plays. That's a lot of plays. That's a lot of plays. 71 to 57 was the uh, margin in plays run. They ran 14 more plays than we did. That's another big right. one. And another thing On too short is fields. When you, play, when you play the Rams, you need to put the ball in Goff's hands and make him beat you. He threw an interception in this game. Like, he's not he's not to great. Wilpoid, he's not even that good. He's not great. Like, he's not really that good. But the Seahawks couldn't get stopped Gurley enough to make it matter. 
And so then it's 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 easy game for him, right? Like yeah, even if I'm only averaging like six yards an attempt, it doesn't matter because I'll just hand the ball to Todd Gurley and he'll run you over. We lost this game on defense and special teams, and Todd Gurley just mopped up the gravy. Yeah, just made it. It was too easy. It was too easy for him. It wasn't. There's there's no challenge. Okay. Uh, do we talk offense? What no, level there was? I want to talk defense still. Okay. Um, I I'm having a problem. We've talked. We've kind of edged around this issue in the past. Defensive play calling, um, and I've. Try, so I watched a lot of tape this week and tried to identify the problem uh, other than just injuries, right? I mean, injuries are obviously a problem. If KJ and Bobby are healthy, maybe this is a completely different game. And I'm more than willing to admit that, that maybe injuries got the better of us. But if I'm being honest throughout the season, what I've noticed is that perhaps when we had the Bradley, uh, Bradley and Quinn and we had all these guys that um, that were deep, more defensive line or front seven specialists, and now we go to Chris Richard. And I and Chris Richard's a good coach. Don't get me wrong, uh, but he's real samey with Pete. Pete's a secondary guy. Chris Richard's a secondary guy. Um, who's in charge of the defensive line here? Because the defensive line is not performing quite as well as I would expect, given the amount of talent we still have, despite the injury to. Not Abel. as disciplined as they were. If no. you look, hmm. there are more uh, penalties. There and lanes open. Right. There's, if you look, the discipline on contain is not there. Well. And that used to be the whole thing was we had these players that could make freakish plays, but there was always contain. Yeah, everyone would do their job. It's do your job, swarm to the ball. That's the order of what the Seahawks did, right? You do your job, and then once the play is contained, you swarm to the ball. And really quickly, who for years was one of the most efficient blitzers in the NFL? I mean, lots of guys. Bobby, though. Bobby's Bobby a really Wagner. great blitzer. And Bobby Wagner, being a very efficient blitzer, is an underutilized weapon lately. Eric? Uh, I'll just say this about Nathan brought it up perfectly. He said discipline. When you look at the defensive line, they're, they're a rambunctious group. You've got Michael Bennett. You've got Frank Clark. Sheldon Richardson. Uh, Cliff Averill. By the was, way, by the way, I don't want to throw any shade Sheldon's way. He was fantastic in this game no, and continues to be fantastic. Absolutely, but he um, plays with a chip. I think is what Eric. Yeah, saying. it's what everyone's. I'm, everyone on the line is is out to get the enemy, and that's what you want. Cliff Averill was like that calm storm. Like that guy is measured. He knows what he's doing. He's disciplined, but he's still a mean guy on the field. And what happens when things start to fall apart in any situation in life? in your car, whatever, you lose that discipline. You lose the thing that holds you together. And when things are bad for this team, that anger, that discipline, it falls apart, and you can see it transcend to each player of the defense. Look at Michael Bennett. We talked before this podcast, Michael Bennett is slowing down a bit. Michael Bennett is also a guy who, I don't know. Tries he, to go offsides on every play. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, <laughs> he tries he's to also, outsmart the other team. He's the also time. truculent. You can't tell him what to do. If you tell him what to do, he's going to get in your face about it, okay? And when you're losing, that does not work. And Michael Bennett is, I think, attitude-wise, is kind of representing, symbolizing what this defensive line has become. Like you said, we, we have injuries all over the field on the defense, but the defensive line is our deepest part, and our defensive line should have played a whole hell of a lot better. It should have stopped the run. It should have slowed down the run. It should have got more pressure. It was so frustrating to see we still had weapons on the defensive line, and they didn't do anything. Yeah, and this is not like the first week where we've been kind of let down a little bit by the amount of pressure that's been caused. And I'm going to point back to another thing is that the Seahawks messed up their salary cap this year, and then the Jeremy Lane trade thing has been really bad for them because we really needed to keep Dwight Freeney. Dwight Freeney would have been awesome in this game if he got you know most of Brandon Jackson's snaps. That would have been very nice to me, or most of Marcus Smith's snaps, either one. And Dwight Freeney, see, Cliff Averill was somebody who everyone on the team respect because he was someone who'd been productive. He was a veteran. He was a calming presence. He was a guy. He was a, he was kind of a glue guy. And so he goes out. He gets hurt. Freeney comes in. Everyone on the line respects Freeney. Freeney's been in the league. He's been there, done that. Freeney's out. So now when you have, you know, Michael Bennett getting chippy in the Jacksonville game, yeah. you know, who can pull him aside and talk him down? Who in that front seven, you know, it's got to be what? It's got to be Bobby, maybe KJ. That's about it. Everybody else, right now, Bennett's the one that they would be looking to for leadership. And I don't know if Bennett's that guy. I don't know if that's his role. You know, Charles Barkley said he's not. he's nobody's role model. Well, Michael Bennett's never claimed to be 
the role model glue guy on a front seven. No, he's a guy you, you laugh with when things are going good. And there's a difference there. Weekend dad, not weekday dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it was. This was a tough game, just from so many angles. I don't really. Uh, okay, so the the defense. We've gone. I. Uh, okay, welcome back, Deion Jordan. Nice sack. That was nice to see. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, Frank Clark had the strip sack. Um, he I wasn't. Wish that should have been a fumble. Game. Oh my gosh, that I was on that. T- yeah, that would that would have been a turning point. I feel like we, if we could have got hot after. If we could have gotten on it, that yeah. would have been real nice. Yep. Um, all right, and then uh, that's that's pretty much it, right? Like the that's the defense. That's the defense. Oh, uh, we got an ejection, right? Uh, Another one. Yeah, that was a joke. Um, and then I, uh, the other thing is Maxwell. Uh, Maxwell and Lane are painful to watch. What was it? That, I am uh, so tired of watching. Oh, you caught the ball, and now I'll make a tackle. It's it's you know I remember we were spoiled because when Shed came in. We were like, man, Shed never makes the pick, but he can always get a hand in there for the tip. It'd be so great if you picked it. Man, I would kill to have someone just get their hand in there for the tip. I'm so tired of, oh, you caught it for eight yards. It's like, yeah, that's fine when Bobby lets a running back catch the ball for two yards and tackles him. But uh, Robert Woods was making eight, 10, 11 yard yard catches. All day long well, with Maxwell no stop against the Eagles looked like a guy I could get behind. Like, ooh, he's improving. He's I mean, let's, get better. let's be honest no. though. Robert Woods only six catches for forty-five yards. It's not like he was like they were key catches though. I mean, yeah, they moved the chains, but just the the team is is not that was. I felt like the secondary was was a lot less of the problem than the the front seven. I felt like when the only hurt. reason the passing game didn't torch us more was because they didn't need to. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, it was there, but that's the thing. Like, okay, it's there or it's not. But the if you can just run the ball a million times, we proved this years ago. Like, you don't have to throw. You just just run the ball, and make them stop that's it. That's true. You're right. Yeah, but look at what they did last week. That's they what I would the do. Jaguars. Look at what the Jaguars did to us last week, Nathan. It's the same thing. Like, but how much was McDougal having to help out in the pass game, or uh, having to help out game, in, the, yeah. in the run game, and it was hurting the pass game, right. or so, vice versa? So maybe it's they, they, they could have sound unit. They could have schemed bet differently because of the, you know, okay, we're gonna put three linebackers on the field more which they unfortunately did yep um, um all right um yeah garvin played 96 percent of snaps which is That's like never good not fun so <laughs> so uh okay let's uh let's let's roll into the old uh the old offense this will be quick the offense was awful uh universally so i have no i don't really have many positive things to say everyone has here's the thing people are going to think like oh you guys were so negative you guys don't like the seahawks you don't i love this team i love the players on this team almost every player on this team has made a significant contribution to something that has made me personally very happy and i know this job is not easy that they have right they are under a freaking microscope but it's our job as you know radio slash podcast professionals to analyze this stuff right and i will say I have never been more disappointed by a Seahawks offensive performance than this one. Let's go a little more personal than this. Okay. Uh, your wife, your husband, your best friend, if they have something stuck to their face, you going to let them walk out of the house with that stuck to their face? Or are you going to be like, hey, you, know, you got a little something? You know, if you really care about somebody, you're going to let them know. We're calling the Seahawks on the problem because we care. We are going to critique because we care, because we know that this franchise can do better. We've seen them do better, and we are not going to let them just sit there and fail and smile and pretend that it's good, because it's not good enough. All right, let's dig in. Here we go. Let's start with this. We've added Dwayne Brown. We've added we've added uh, Luke Jokel. We've added Ode Abushi. We add all these players. We draft. We spend high draft picks on offensive linemen. Afedi, Britt, at, at Odiombo. At what point... Is it time to kiss some of this offensive coaching staff goodbye? And I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast are going to say, Nathan, you are the biggest bevel apologist out there. And I I will openly admit it. I don't think he's a bad offensive coordinator, but his time and this team is done. It is time for him to go be the offensive coordinator somewhere else. And he'll be successful because I honestly think he's a pretty good offensive coach. But it's, it's not working here anymore. This mix of players and coaches is no longer successful. And it, we have to move on from one or the other. Either we need a, a purge of per- player personnel or we need a purge of coaches, one or the other. And it's 
it seems like from looking at our cap, it seems like it's going to be a lot easier for us to just purge the offensive coaching staff. And if Pete can't make hard choices like that, if that's not his style or whatever, then maybe it needs to start with that. That's where I'm at on this offense. It was that unsatisfying to watch. There's no way that this offensive line can be this bad week in and week out. And they are that, they are that bad. Aaron Donald was... The, pass rushing Jesus in this game. Three sacks, ten pressures, five run stops. He was Reggie White peak in this game. That's the, that's a, that is like a, uh, I mean, and I'll say Aaron Donald is on the trajectory to have a Hall of Fame career, but you got to make these Hall of Fame players not look good. That's got to be part of your game plan. It didn't matter if we single teamed him, double teamed him. Play- double teams. I double wrote, teams I wrote so down much. a couple plays where we double teamed him and he just split the double team. He looked like Cortez Kennedy. Team. He, was in, he was incredible. Like, Aaron yeah. Donald's really good, but if we can't scheme to stop him, like, that's a, that goes on the offensive coaching staff, right? They need to figure out a way to do something about that because Russell Wilson under pressure is not good. It leads to holding penalties. It leads to those terrible sacks and intentional grounding penalties. The fumble uh, where he goes to spin and sets the ball down. Chip blocks with Doug Baldwin and J.D. McKissick, which these guys aren't big guys. I don't want to see them doing that. It's not going to be effective. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Jokel this game. Uh, That's a guy we brought in we're paying $8 million a year for. I did not like seeing Jokel. And Jokel next to Brown, this is supposed to be a better tandem, like the good part of the line. And I thought they looked shitty on run and pass blocking. I thought Brown was okay. Brown looked Brown looked Brown, fine. Brown's but out there. Jokel he had a couple looked, of bad penalties. Jokel what Brown looked had. bad. Brown's out there on an island against Brockers, and I felt like <laughs> you know he did what he's supposed to do, right? Like he 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 played a respectable he game. played a respectable game, but yeah, Jokel in the middle, like they were using him on Donald trying to get Jokel that. and Postage both looked uh, physically incapable of anchoring an interior offensive line. Overmatched, yeah, overmatched is the physically good word. overmatched. Yep, and that's been Jokel's rap the whole time is that he's smart enough, he has the the footwork, the skills, the brain, but he doesn't have the physicality to be an NFL tackle or NFL offensive lineman. That's he's been the rap on him his entire career. Physical. He's just he just not quite there in terms of strength, and he never really developed the body. You know, and I know that not everyone's gonna like this, but I also, even though we were down early, I hate that we just abandoned the run. Yeah, totally abandoned the run. Six carries for McKissick, six carries for Davis, and these are the types of things. I said it on the podcast last week. I'll say it again. Um, I think that the bigger problem is Cable, but I feel like Bevel does not understand how to run an offense with the way that our personnel has changed, and he cannot run an offense that is centered around a quarterback like Russell Wilson. There's no evolution there, right? On some level, this the team co- the coach player dynamic on this team is somewhat broken, right? Yep. And and a lot of people say it stems back to that play against New England where we threw the interception, and I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that, but there's something something is wrong. So there's some disconnect. Either Cable can't coach these guys up into how to run, or Bevel can't figure out how to work around the ineptitude of Tom Cable. Like, it's, it's, something well, doesn't work. Let me ask you it's this: just not this doesn't work. It's ineffective. How many times in this game, whether you watched it on TV or if you were there, Kevin, did you see our receivers? Which we've all talked about. Our receiving core is a good receiving core, above average, an excellent receiving core. How many times did you see our receiving core go out and just have the defenders stuck to them like glue? I don't think that the Rams secondary are world beaters, but our our they seemed like they were all over our guys in this yeah, game. And it, yeah, I don't know if that was. Yeah. I know what it is. I know because I know how good our players are. I know that Doug Baldwin is a very elusive guy. He finds holes and zones. He can speed past guys. He has quickness. Paul Richardson can go out. Tyler Lockett has lost some speed, but he's still a savvy receiver. Jimmy Graham, Jimmy Graham is big, but he's losing his way. I don't understand. Like Kevin said, how Bevel cannot evolve and coach better. It's kind of like Nathan has always said: there's no plays to get you out of third and long. Three, three and four, third and fourteen. There's no play that's going to get you out of that. If you get out of it, it's because some there was some sort of breakdown. Someone messed up, and you chose the exact right play. And I feel like Bevel is constantly, no matter what position we're in, is coaching third and fourteen, is calling against third and fourteen, and that's on first and ten. That's on two and five. You know, how many times have we seen like, oh, we are, you know, we're second down and four. Oh, now we're third down and six. Yeah. It's, that's the problem. You know, and uh, to compliment what you're saying, you know, we're looking at this game. Uh, I didn't see Nick Vanette. Did, did Nick Vanette even have any snaps? Um, he, he had no production. Uh, Luke Wilson was throwing the ball twice. 
uh, Jimmy Graham was throwing the ball three times, had one catch for negative one yard, and he had a drop on what could have been a beautiful catch over the middle early in the game. Jimmy Graham right now. I uh, I feel like. The players that we needed to step up in this situation didn't step up, but also the way we could have schemed. Like there were no, um, there were no surprising plays. The entire game, it looked like Wade Phillips was staring at our playbook, and whatever play Bevel chose was lit up for him, and he just called the corresponding defense. You know, I, our offense, I think, has always been playing checkers, and. We were able to do that when we're, you know, okay. The criticism on Pete Carroll in USC, all the way back in the USC days, was that Pete Carroll relied on having better talent and having them run a simple system precisely. And people used to say, Pete's not out coaching you on game day. He's out coaching you the rest of the week and the rest of the year. And on game day, he just shows up and has them run it. And I think that that's a lot of what happened with the Seahawks. The Seahawks, they weren't out playing everyone on game day as much. I mean, there are times, but it was a lot of, we practiced, we were fundamentally sound, we showed up, we ran our game, and we were just going to be better than you. And then attrition happened. And we had to pay a quarterback, and a running back retired and got injured, and offensive line had to leave because we couldn't pay him. And suddenly, we aren't just better we anymore. Were, we were uh, we were really we had a really good team when when we only had to pay Russell Wilson four hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Yep, it's it's a big difference. Like when you have to win with a quarterback getting paid like that. And, and so we now we need a running back getting paid like that. You know, now we need um, offensive linemen that are performing. Just above their contract. And here's what you need to, to, to really make it in the NFL. You need to have guys playing on either cheap reclamation project contracts or on rookie contracts. And we don't really have hardly any of those guys. It's Dion Jordan and uh, who else? Frank is, Clark's on a rookie deal. Right. Frank Clark. We have For a, now. a couple guys on rookie deals. Uh, P. Rich, it. Lockett. Those guys aren't P. Rich is not coming back next year. We're not getting him back. I'm you like, think so? I'm so convinced that he's just like out of our reach. He's it's possible. He's gonna, be, he's gonna be expensive, like six to eight million dollars a year. I think the way he he's played this year, he's played his way into a bigger contract. If we get really a, lucky, we'll get him for Jermaine Kersman. For a smart team, a smart team's gonna look at him and say, "Wow, look at that catch radius. Look at what he did. He appeared in night. You know, he's kind of over the injury stuff. He appeared in 19, uh, 15 games last year and fourteen games this year, right? So. The injury stuff is kind of gone by the wayside. And he had some great playoff games, which is, you know, everyone notices that stuff, right? Yep. Everyone notices when you put a good playoff game on film. So I'm uh, I'm a little worried that P. Rich, this might be um, his swan song in a Seahawks uniform, which is too bad because he's great. So, yeah, offensive line needs fixed, play calling needs fixed, same old song and dance on those. And the team just didn't happen. I don't have anything else to say about this offense. I'm done. Um, they waved Mark, Mark Lewinsky, um, which, was, which is a sign. I think that's just that. That's like, uh, yeah. We we they can't develop offensive linemen. They're just they just can't do it. I don't know what the deal is. It's it's just too bad. All right. Well, that's enough about last week's Rams game. We're now thirty three minutes in. This is a pretty long uh, Seahawks part of the uh, review part of the podcast. But I feel like we had a lot. So I I guess I'm glad I didn't go deep on five plays like I planned to. Uh, all right. So. I plan to just pick five specific plays and give you guys a breakdown. Maybe I'll do make a video, YouTube video. That sounds like something fun to do. All right. So your videos are good, Nathan. You should. All right. So then we'll go. Now we'll go to next week. The Seahawks head to Dallas as five point underdogs to face the Dallas Cowboys. Um, it's an afternoon game. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott is back. Uh, Dallas is deservedly the favorite. I think Dallas has really kind of salvaged their season here at the end. It seemed like they were heading in a direction where. It wasn't so going so well, right? Like it's just it wasn't working. They lost three straight games at Falcons versus Eagles versus Chargers, and then all of a sudden, they turn it around. Now they're scoring points. They won by an index card. Uh, <laughs> Dak Prescott, let's face it, looked really bad during those three games. There was like a four game span where, where he they just didn't. They scored bad. under. And 10 then he points. looked real good. They were they were figuring out how to play without Zeke, I think, and also their left tackle was hurt, and he is absolutely fantastic. Tyron yes. Smith, he is he's incredible. Pro Bowl left player. tackle. That's right. Um, so. Yeah, that, so the Seahawks are going to head in this week, and they have a tall order right here to go on the road and beat a team that, you know, is, I think, 
ready. This team is ready to this is a fight playoff for team. a playoff spot. They're ready to fight for a playoff spot. So uh, David Irving looks like he'll be back, which is not good for the Seahawks. His seven sacks this season. Um, he He's like 50-50 right now because he hasn't quite cleared concussion protocol yet, and everyone knows how weird that is. So, but uh, that that'd be a big if he's hurt that'd be big for the Seahawks for their chances to win because right now we are making opposing defensive linemen look like Pro Bowlers and he's actually like a fringe Pro Bowler so that's that's not good and they have has, uh, Lawrence who is actually a Pro Bowler he has seven sacks he's about yeah, to have nine Marcus Lawrence is is awesome um, and he wears glasses so so you know I like him <laughs> I, I go hard does he wear him. goggles though. Uh, I don't think he wears sports goggles. I think he wears the contacts. Oh, on the if field. he wore the sports goggles, I'd like him even more. Uh, yeah. So be yeah, Von Miller. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, can all be horse. Marcus Lawrence is Demarcus Lawrence, and they've they've got a, they've got a nice little pass rushing suite there that they've developed in Dallas. And that's not I mean. Taco Charlton really hasn't even come along yet. Like I thought he would be the guy that kind of pushed them over the edge in terms of their pass rush, but he's got what like two sacks. Yep. Yeah. And they've really gotten all their. David Irving has been really good this year, and Demarcus Lawrence has been awesome this year. So those are the those are the guys you want to watch out for for the from their defense. Uh, Sean Lee is kind of like their Luke Keekley. He's like a a worse Luke Keekley, where when he's in the game, he's the leader of this defense. He makes this defense tick. As Kevin and he's likes good to at say, what he does. As Kevin likes to say, he's the straw that stirs their drink. That's it. Uh, but he he makes them kind of work, and he had he has ten tackles for loss this season, which is pretty crazy. Most of them in the run game. So. That's that's pretty nuts that he's able to get after the run like that and make that happen. Uh, on offense, you know, Zeke's back, and that's not good for the Seahawks considering what Gurley just did to us no more than, th- you know, three days ago. So, yeah, I'm, that worries me as well. Even though to this point in the season, Alfred Morris has a better yards per carry than Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, yeah, I Zeke think Alfred Morris has looked pretty good for the Cowboys. And uh, I, let's just break into this game really quickly because there's not going to be too much to say. You're going to see exactly what you saw the Rams give us. Zeke is back. He's got six games rest. He's got a full week of practice. But let's face it, he's going to want to get into game shape, and he's going to use us to do it. The biggest difference between the Rams and the Cowboys is, well, for one, I mean, there's just there's a huge talent, this talent disparity here on defense, especially in the secondary. Yeah. Dallas has a ex- very exploitable secondary that we could throw on, potentially, and that would keep us in the game. Uh, the Rams are the third best def- uh, defensive DVOA, and they're third against the pass, and it's mostly because they have elite pass rush, and their cornerbacks aren't actually that bad. I thought they'd be bad before the season starts, and they've gone out there and kind of proved they're me wrong. Decent. They're decent. They're, they're surprisingly they're good. They're surprisingly good. Uh, Dallas, on the other hand, they aren't good against the pass or really that good against the run. They have a decent pass rush, but they they give up a lot of a lot of yards in the air, including their 23rd against number one wide receivers, 23rd against number two wide receivers, and 24th against tight ends. And 26 against running backs, right? Yeah. So all those things, what those things say to me as a person who likes to dig into stats is that this is a very exploitable secondary. If Russell Wilson can find a way to get the team back on track, we could see a, another big rust day that leads to a, a, a Seahawks victory. Uh, yeah. Also, if Mike Davis can be healthy for this game, he can have himself a game. Uh, they are not particularly good against uh, runs, uh, especially to the left. They are 32nd against power run, um, whereas Seattle's 18th, which is good for us as far as run goes. Um, their run stuff percentage is pretty bad. So this is a Dallas team that is not particularly good at stopping the run. We should be able to get something that looks like a regular NFL run day if we can stick to it on play calling. Uh, Nate, as you just said, their pass defense is exploitable. Um, I think that if Seattle can turn this into a shootout, that's their only shot at a win here because Dallas is going to score their points, especially against this depleted team. We'll probably have KJ back. We won't have Bobby at 100%. He won't be 100% the rest of the year. Our defensive line isn't going to suddenly be all healthy again. Um, Our cornerbacks are a weakness where they once were a strength. Uh, We're vulnerable. They're going to score some points. Yeah, and even if we win this game, let's say we find a way to win this game, it's no guarantee that we we can win out and still easily tiebreaker to Atlanta. We have ten. We have a ten percent chance of making the playoffs according to the Football Outsiders playoff odds. Um, 
and that's huge. Last week we had a thirty six point four percent chance, I think, and we controlled our own destiny going into that last game too. Yep. Where yeah. if we want, if we won out, we were going to get the three or the four seed. Now we, it's completely out of our control. Atlanta wins one game, well they're locking up that playoff spot. Then we, then we need Carolina to lose out or New Orleans to lose out. No. And Detroit to not get to ten wins. Like there's just so many things that need to happen for us to make the playoffs. I just, it, and in fact, including the fact that if Dallas wins this game, it's just oh, it's over. That's it. We cannot lose again. It's tough. It's a tough road for the yep. Seahawks. And um, we called this last week. We broke it down last week. Yeah. If we lost to the Rams, it would be an end to the season. And that we are still partially alive. I'm still going to have faith that this team will do something. Uh, part of my my pick will include, uh, you know, why I believe the Seahawks, you know, like to play tricks on us per se. But this, we had our chances this season. Or last week we talked about that Atlanta game being the game that, you know, we should have won. Uh, I I mentioned the Redskins game as a game we should have won. Right. Uh, this Rams game we should have at least performed better. Uh, We'll see what we can do against Dallas. It's a season full of near misses, right? Like, and, and then honestly, it's been that way since. I'm sorry, this sucks to say. This really sucks. Since but New after England. the Patriots, since the New England game, I mean, look at the season against the uh, the Vikings. Where uh, I'm sorry, where Blair Walsh won us the playoff game against the Vikings. We should have lost that game. Atlanta we should have lost Carolina. that game. But that that whole season was games of a catch up against the Bengals. We lost on a tight end seam at the end of the game, where Earl was just a. Half a second too late. Uh, Greg Olson helped the Panthers beat us at home. Yep. Again, on a seam where Earl Thomas was just a half second too late. I am not bitching on Earl. Earl's my favorite player on the team. What I'm saying is the greatest on the team is still affected somehow by how everything, you know, everyone reacts to each other. And we've been playing catch up. We've had, oh, we've had the injuries. Ooh, Earl, or, I'm sorry, Russ hurt himself last year. Oh, the defense is just a little off. There's always been something, and I think you can take it back to that New England game. It sucks. That's a hot take, but let's face it. Evidence is there. All right. Let's, again, we've done it. We've done it this year. Let's do our let's do our picks. Uh, Kevin, who do you like in this one? I told you I think shootout is the only way that Seattle can win, but I'm looking at 36-30 Dallas, and I think that... Missed field goals, yep. possibly a missed extra point, and probably a big return from Dallas, who has the number three special teams, a really good kicker in Dan Bailey. I think that that's going to be partially a game decider. And this is me assuming that the offense can get back to form. I don't think we can have that bad of a game back-to-back. But worst-case scenario, it looks a lot uglier than this. But 36-30... Dallas. I'm right there with you, man. Like I think like a missed field goal is going to doom us. It's going to be something like 27 to 30, uh, Dallas, where where we just get doomed by by like this one missed field goal, and then it's it's it'd be kind of indicative of like our that's how our season ends, right? Like just with the missed special teams opportunities, just barely missing it. Uh, Eric, what do you like in this one? Uh, boys, we're all on the same page. 26-24 Cowboys. All right. So um, I thought it'd be fun if before we go to the money zone in our, our movie, if we talked a little bit about next year's cap. All right. So uh, because uh, because it is start turning time to look forward. So free agents going into next year. Graham, Jokel, Lacey, Richardson, McDougald, Luke Wilson, Will Hoyt, Shed, Paul Richardson, Blair Walsh, a bunch of people you don't care about. Uh, Garvin, Maxwell, Abushi, Tobin, um, Austin Davis. Okay, uh, so those are our those are our free agents. Okay, if we don't re-sign anyone, we have seventeen million dollars in estimated cap space. Okay. Yep. Biggest cap savings we can get. We can save eleven million dollars by cutting Richard Sherman. We can save uh, nine million. Oh, um, actually, like eight and a half million dollars by cutting Earl Thomas. We could save ten million dollars by cutting Dwayne Brown. We could save seven and a half million by cutting KJ. We could save seven and a half million by cutting Cliff. We can cut. We can. Oh, we are cutting Jeremy Lane. <laughs> we'll get and we'll get about four four point seven five million dollars back for that. Um, we can save two million dollars by cutting John Ryan, and it, it then there's not much cap savings to be had past that point. So, that being said, seventeen million dollars. All those things I said. I'm gonna get, ask you guys: Is there anybody on that list of free agents that you think we absolutely have to? to bring back or we really really need to bring back and then 
Is there anybody on that list of cuts that you think is going to hit the dust other than Jeremy Lane, either through trade, I'm wouldn't be surprised if we traded some contracts, or by just outright cutting them? Eric, I'll start with you. Who who do you, who do you think about that? Uh, which which part you want me to say? Let's who go. Do I let's, not wanna... let's go first. Free agents. So free agents. Anybody you want to see brought back, or do you think all these guys can hit the bricks? That's hard. That's really hard. Um, I I'm going to defer on this only because I think right now emotionally, I want to keep so many of these guys. Sure. Um, I agree. There's there's some decent names on this list, but uh, as far as cleaning up the cap. I see I see us rebuilding because I don't think that Pete Carroll is stupid. I also don't think John Schneider is stupid. And I don't think that they're emotional. And I think I think we will have Earl next year. I don't think Cam's going to play again. I've said this before. I don't think Cliff is going to play again. Sherman for like a second or a third rounder? Could you see something like I that happening? I honestly think Sherman is probably not returning to this team. Uh, it wouldn't be it would not surprise me if he comes back, but I right now I'm saying he's off. I don't think that Jimmy Graham is going to be on this team. Um, I that's, think that's Russell Wilson's best friend. I know, and <laughs> and I, Russ after the loss. As much as I love Russ, you know, Russ is like, well, you know, things are bigger than a game. Great, great. I know. I I want to I want to hear you a little more fired up, Russ. Uh, as far as I guess the the one well, player that, that I think we can we have to bring back is probably Dwayne Brown. But again, that's emotion, and not because he's one of my favorite players, but because I am so desperate for an offensive line that doesn't that doesn't just you I'm can a, watch I am him a play thirsty man he... in the desert, man. I am I need Dwayne Brown. So you said something there. You said Russell Wilson. Uh, something that was going around Seahawks Twitter was uh, Davis Sue, who's a, who's a cool guy. Davis, shout out to you. Uh, he was saying like, hey, they, Seahawks should consider like Russell Wilson based trades. Do you think that that's a thing the Seahawks should pursue, or do you do you think that that's just a kind of? I think that's. He, do you think he was looking for something to talk about? He's looking for something to talk about because <laughs> let me ask you this: uh, I I could ask you, hey, give me the teams that don't have to worry about a quarterback, but I can even say this, and it will be a long list. Give me a list of teams that are desperate for a quarterback. Not desperate as in like the Vikings who have found Case Keenum, but let's face it, Case Keenum probably not giving them a championship. I'm thinking of teams like the Bengals. They have Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's great. No, he's not. Andy Dalton is not very good. Andy Dalton is a name because the media or whoever or ESPN has said, hey, Andy Dalton's the red rifle. Andy Dalton is not very good. That team is desperate for a quarterback. Deshaun Kaiser is the is the uh, the Browns' new guy. He is not good at all. And maybe he's going to turn into something, but guess what? He's not good. Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay. I could keep going down this list. Look at New Orleans. Drew Brees. How much longer is Drew Brees going to play? Let's say he plays three more years. That's a long time in football land. That team will soon grow desperate for a quarterback. It is good to be in Russell Wilson land. That's what I think. Yeah, having a starting NFL quarterback, having a top 10 quarterback, a top 5 quarterback, is like having a Cy Young caliber pitcher in baseball. You do not deal them away very often except now imagine you only had to pitch one pitcher every game it's like a staff right kevin it's more than a it's more than a yeah it's more than an ace this is not a guy that you get rid of this is not someone you trade because here's the thing richard sherman clear number one quarterback still clear number one corner being paid like a number one corner and if we ship him off we're gonna have to get a number one corner of some caliber to come or, in and replace Or him. we're going to have to trust that Shaq Griffin can continue his development and become a number one corner. Which I don't think we can right away. So we're going to need someone who's like a 1B. Okay, because I was going to say that aspect of it is I think that that's what... For this team to be successful, we need guys like that to step up and blossom in, in expanded roles. We do, but we would need someone who's very solid across from him. Sure, but that's that person might already be on our roster. Or maybe we need... That person might be Deshaun Shedd. Uh, coming back from injury on a sweetheart deal because he's not no one's gonna offer him a big contract yeah or it might be you know um our first round pick or it might be our third round pick or it might be our you second know, round pick eight that million we traded, dollars or, or someone. Wait, wait, our second round pick that we traded when we traded richard sherman 
right? Right. The pick that we trade him for, sure. Yeah. Uh, or it might be, you know, we might spend eight million and po- and take that three and move it somewhere else on the Ke- roster. Kevin, are there anybody from that free agent list that you think is like imperative to bring back? Since that was five minutes ago, can you give me the free agent list right now, real quick? Graham, Jokel, Lacey, Richardson, McDougald, Wilson, Wilhoit, Shed, Richardson, Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> that one, no, nah. Uh, Marcus Smith, Odeabushi, Byron Maxwell, Terrence Garvin, Austin Davis, Matt Tobin, and Dewey McDonald. Um, I are, want to those see are, those are our UFAs. We also have restricted free agents, but those guys are pretty easy to bring back. Yes. Deion Jordan, Justin Coleman, Mike Davis, Thomas Rawls. If we want these guys, we can bring them all back for six hundred thousand dollars. So it's not that big a deal. I really want to see Paul Richardson come back. I think it depends on what we do. I think if Graham's out, I want to see Paul Richardson come back. Right, because then we're transitioning more to wide receiver based. Sure, and I, I agree with that. I'd like to see us get Richardson back from between four and six million dollars, if that's possible. If we can, yeah. Otherwise, I think we need. We'll basically have to replace him with somebody uh, of talent. The, um, I want to see. Uh, you don't think you don't Sheldon think Darbo, come back. You don't think Darbo will be ready to play outside? No. Okay. Not that little. Uh, I don't want to fully trust him. What a no. waste of third round draft pick. All right. Um, if we're already writing him off at that point, like that sucks, because like. It, generally like top three round wide receivers need to be ready to go year one or year two right like yeah. we he should be close to ready uh, ladies and gentlemen this man was drafted in a very similar position to tyler lockett just think about that right and so i mean that's like that's why i'm saying like if he can step into a role next year we can feel more comfortable which maybe he could but i don't trust him too uh right. I, i'm gonna have to figure out if john snyder does here you uh, want i want you want a conspiracy theory here kevin yes we're um, hiding him Dion jordan yes that too Deion, we're hiding him a little bit so we can get a wide receiver on the cheap. And Deion Jordan, RFA thing, that is going to free us up to lose maybe Cliff and Bennett or just Cliff. Yep, sure. I agree. Uh, um, I think that's going to be going down. I, I think we're going to make a push to get Sheldon Richardson back, but I don't think we will. I, I Sheldon Richardson's my guy. That you, I want I him this, back as much as anyone. I look at this list and I say, if we bring back only one of these guys, Sheldon Richardson, he has... Pr- been everything i've wanted him to be and more he has been a rock on a on a defense that hasn't has had you know ups and downs uh i just really want us to sheldon has been fantastic and you know other than bobby wagner i can't think of a seahawks player right now that i'm like more high on than than sheldon sheldon is is so good as far as players on the oh and uh mcdougald uh, if Cam's out, I want McDougald still. Right. If we can, if we're getting, if Cam's retiring or whatever, we have to pay that injury. There's like an he has an injury clause in his contract where if he, but that doesn't come off the cap. That's a separate pool of money, right? I was gonna say I'm not. I, sh- I'm not a hundred percent sure how it works. I don't believe that um, counts against the cap because that's. I mean, let's either way, it, injury settlement. Okay, so you either either way, we're gonna have to pay him something because like even if we if he retires, we still have to pay him the dead cap money, yes. right? So seven and a half million dollars. We'd only save like two million bucks by getting rid of camp. I don't I, think we'd have to pay McDougal that heavily, though. So I think that's the smart move. See, that's where we—that's where we're going to diverge there. I think that he's going to get at least six this offseason. If he gets six, then he walks, and um, we can he's check and see if Delano Hill can step into the role. Um, also, uh, safeties are uh, something you could pick up in the mid rounds of the draft. Yeah, Tedrick Thompson too could be ready. Could be to uh, to play. More. Though he's not an in the box guy, so we'd have to change up the way we play defense. But you know that's something we might want to think about. Yeah, I'm um, hoping that the uh, whole convert safeties into cornerbacks thing is over. I think we've tried it like too many times now. It's a well I don't want to go back to, not even once. But we're going the opposite way because we'd be converting a corner into a safety. I with cannot Tedrick. believe we only paid Bradley McDougal two million dollars this year. Yep, that is awesome. What a great contract by the Seahawks. Yep. We need a lot more of those. They really—that's the kind of thing we need to we, do. We have our moments. We should have tried to lock him in at like four million over t- two years, like eight million over two. No, he wanted this to be able to have a redemption contract and then go get money. Correct. Now he's going to go get paid six yep. million dollars a year. Like that. He. His but point, that means we're a destination defense for people who want those kinds of deals. That's on, a thing. Bet on himself, which is a very smart thing to do when you're that good. Um. All right. All right. Yeah. So now what? Now we've got. Uh, Money zone, right? And that's it. That's it. Money zone, movie right. zone. So, uh, Seahawks Nest fans, if you want to support the Seahawks Nest, you can head over to patreon.com and search for the Seahawks Nest. Uh, if you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Seahawks Nest, and click uh, the sign up button or whatever, there's a button at the top that says like sign up, and that's how you can get to our Patreon real easily. That's a good, it's an awesome way to support your podcast, and you get something in return. Uh, you get to listen to our uh, special Patreon exclusive podcast. And, Maybe you're a person that's like, you know what? Is that even that cool? I don't even really like that pod- this podcast that much. You can go check those out ahead of time. But 
they're one week behind. So you can listen to all our picks from last week, one week after everyone else. It's on a one-week delay for people who aren't signed up for Patreon. Patreons get them right away. Everyone else, you got to wait seven days. Sorry. And you can't subscribe to it like uh, with the RSS feed unless you're in the uh, in the Patreon. Also, we'll send you a sticker and uh, other generally fun stuff like that. We got kids to feed, folks. Um, that so then um also if you just want to support the podcast and you don't have any money you're you're broke because it's the holidays and i totally understand uh <laughs> that that thing uh you can head over to the facebook and give us a like you can head over to twitter and give us a follow also you can go on itunes and give us a five-star review it's dumb but it really helps because uh, most people find their podcast through itunes and we have gone all the way up to almost 500 weekly listens just basically because of 90% iTunes listeners. So thank you to those people that gave us a five star on there. You guys rock. All right. Uh, that's it. We're ready for movie movie time. That's it. All right. Do it. We watched a movie together. Uh, it was, it's a fun movie. We only got about five minutes to talk about it, but I th- how appropriate. I think that five minutes is the perfect time to talk about five deadly venoms. One of the all time greatest Kung Fu movies. Um, Eric, let's start yes. with you. Cause you, I think you are the least likely to like this movie. 1978's Five Deadly Venoms. It's a cult classic, for good reason, in my opinion. Eric, what'd you think of it? I gotta say, I was I was very impressed by this movie. Uh, maybe a knock against it, but I'm not trying to. It felt older than 78. <laughs> uh, it felt I don't know. I mean, I realize it's a it's another country's movie, but it looked almost like late 60s. Um, I I don't dislike kung fu movies, but I'll tell you what. Whereas you two will check out a kung fu movie on your own. I need to be brought in by friends for a kung fu movie. And I'm in. I like him. But it's that's a party movie for me. This movie was awesome. Uh, I I kind of want to hear everyone's favorite deadly venom. Okay. So uh, there are f- I'll, I'll name the five deadly venoms. We've got the centipede. The thousand strikes. The thou- He's wiggly and quick. Hands. Snake. One hand. The mouth. One hand. The tail. Aim for the vulnerable spots with pinpoint accuracy. The scorpion. A double threat. High kicks. Just like the stinging tail of the scorpion, but the pincer style grabs also of the front scorpion's claws. The lizard, which gecko. gecko. You know, it depends on the translation you watch. Some yes. some translations will say lizard style, uh, but gecko style can walk on walls basically. Uh, light and athletic. Yeah. Yes. And but then, strikes with and power. Then defensive style, the toad style, invulnerable from almost any damage except for a weak spot. When punctured, drains all of the toad style's power. Their inner power. Yeah. So, uh, I will say they put this. him in like an Iron Maiden in the movie. Yes. In the movie, they put the toad guy in the Iron Maiden to like needle him up to try to find the weak spot. It's well, crazy. They, they made like Iron the Maiden. <laughs> the toad. The toad style guy was. Uh, He's a badass. He was the tank of the movie for sure, <laughs> but he wasn't my favorite. Okay. Uh, my favorite would would have to be. I kind of had to think about this. It's it's going to be the Scorpion. <laughs> I liked his role in the movie, kind of sitting behind. And he was like the puppet master. He's pulling he's, all the strings. He's pulling all the strings. But also, he was like the truest badass because the snake was like not a badass. He needed help to beat the toad. I'm kind of spoiling everything. Oh, well. Uh, I don't really think a lot of people are going to see this I mean, movie. this movie's 40 years old. If you haven't watched it yet, and you're going to enjoy it whether or not we spoil it. Like, yeah, this is an unspoilable movie. Sorry, folks. Yeah, we've talked about the uh, centipede being... Like the guy who should have been the biggest badass. You know, we should have known this. When he was breaking all the plates and he was missing plates, we kind of thought like, is he really a thousand hands? He might be the worst martial artist he in the movie. He might be seven to eight hands. Anyway, uh, the, the way that they showed the thousand hands things was kind of dumb. Because like, the guy's in some really cool fight scenes, but then every once in a while they'll just show a close-up of the front of his body. And he'll just do like a thousand quick, like a bunch of quick punches at the camera, and it just looks really corny. It kind of reminds me of the stock footage from Power Rangers. <laughs> uh, either way, I, I really liked how the, the Scorpion, you know, he, he seemed like a, a real badass. And I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, Kevin, what'd you, what'd you think? Uh, you know, I'm going to go with someone who I appreciate not because of their fighting style, but because of the entire character in the movie, and that would be Lizard slash Gecko. And that is because this character uh, shows up in many ways in this movie. Um, they are not the point of view character, but they are integral to several parts of the story. And I really feel like in a lot of ways, this movie was lizard story and mm-hmm. um 
he looked cool in the fight scenes. He was great in the social scenes. And the way that the story unfolded for him was the most interesting one for me to follow. He was like a character. He had like a redemption arc where like, yes, he was kind of a unscrupulous cop at the beginning. He seemed like kind of a bad guy. But then by the end of the movie, he's the hero. And we'll you know? say this also: the first two, Toad was Toad was really the good guy. Well, there are two, and Toad was the coolest in every fight scene. Toad looked awesome. Venoms Toad are, is buff, dude. Are yeah. revealed at the beginning, but Chong-Li. as the movie goes on, you don't really know. Like, oh, hey, this guy we've seen in the movie for like thirty minutes is actually, you know, blank. Right. The movie's the movie's got some twist to it, right? Like, you're trying to figure out of which of these characters, which style are they? Are they the gecko? Are they the? Because I mean. At some one point in the movie, you're you're clear like both of these guys are in it. They're both two of the deadly venoms, but are they scorpion or are they gecko? Like it is there is a legitimate question, and a lot of people when they're watching the movie for the first time probably think like, "Hey, that unscrupulous cop, he's going to be the bad guy." But it they kind of twist it on you, right? Which is yeah. a cool, which is cool. It's it's cool that this movie has like some interesting. There's flashbacks. There's nonlinear. There's some uh, some nonlinear storytelling going on with the flashbacks and stuff. It's it's cool. I don't like, know if it's behe- ahead of its time, but. As far as kung fu movies go, it's definitely there's more a real, of a film than other other movies are. There's a real plot too. Yeah, this is not just a film that you probably, like. Nathan and I will occasionally recommend a movie where it's like pop this film in, you will laugh a lot, and like the action scenes are kind of fun. This is actually a good movie. You'll laugh at the beginning because it it does the start off kind of slow, and also the beginnings. Ridiculous. The beginnings really weird too. Like the master's in like this steam bath in a bra- brass pot, and he's like they're like putting and he's they're just like pouring boiling water on right? him. And he's just like in this little pot, and it looks so weird. And, yeah. and he looks like I was like, why is he in prison? Obvious, what did he do? And it's very obvious the old guy is like a he's like the the old master is like a young guy in a old man makeup yes. and stuff. And even with the makeup and stuff, he looks like maybe he's like early fifties. Maybe. maybe early 50s I, i'm pretty sure that dude was 28 and so the very beginning of the movie is like within the first five minutes he's like i am going to die soon and you're like oh all right well i guess it was good meeting you um <laughs> you are not old enough to be that frail but apparently you've just decided that you're gonna die like uh, it seems like maybe he's gonna strip off all his clothes and lay on a mountainside and just die of exposure i'm not sure dying of boiling water but. you're gonna uh pull a master shifu and uh just turn into lotus blossoms and fly away i'm not Really Nathan, sure what about you? Uh, who was your favorite Deadly Venom? Oh, I'm I'm all about Lizard, dude. Gecko. That's really? my that's my dude. Yeah. No one picked the Toad. I'm a little. The I mean, Toad was, was so, so cool. Toad was cool, but the whole point of Toad is to like establish like it's to make you think like, hey, this guy maybe is not. He's he's either tricking Toad or he's not that bad of a guy. And then you have to figure out which one it is, right? And eventually you're like, oh, it, it turns out he was a good guy. Him and Toad were actually friends. He's the key to the plot. Yeah. he's The plot revolves around him, or he, he kind of carries the plot for a significant chunk of the movie. Lizard and Toad, friends forever. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, this is a great movie. Um, it's inspired, like, a million hip-hop album covers and just uh, <laughs> hip-hop guys in general. The RZA, this is one of his favorite movies. The masks are very distinctive in this. Uh, yeah, oh my gosh. The masks, they're so ridiculous uh sergeant kabuki man and why yeah, there's a lot of i mean i don't know just yeah there, there's Quill like man a from doug there's to- there's a lot of torture in this movie which i was re- is really surprising i was not ready for so much torture uh the blood will remind you if you uh really like um technicolor era horror movies like because it's like yeah. red paint like uh what's the um borderline orange at times uh, i'm blanking on the name of it what's the 70s one where it's the witch school uh, i don't know but starts I know with an s christopher lee's dracula is I think okay yeah. dracula is re- dracula reborn is it's that it's like oh it's that's just red paint y'all <laughs> yeah and what i like about the movie is you can never tell who so the main character is not any one of the deadly venoms he's a he's number six and he was taught all five styles but he hadn't been trained very much so he's not really great at any of them so he needs to uh he needs to the, the master himself. tells him like find an ally who is the good guy out of these five guys and then destroy the rest so he he's trying to figure out which of these is a good person. That's kind of what the whole thread of the movie is about. It's like this number six guy is kind of watching. He's pretending to be like a, a beggar. And he, there's a lot of really funny, like slapsticky scenes where Suspiria, where he's like, he's like, Oh, you know, like I, and then everyone thinks he's kind of an idiot, but it turns out he's actually, you know, 
kind of a badass in his own way, right? Yes. So, so it's a uh, it's fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's playing a ruse. The uh, beginning of the movie for sure. Yeah, and there and most of the movie. And actually. Then the plot all revolves around the fact that um, they know that some guy has a great treasure hidden. Uh, they call everyone calls him Uncle in the in the translation we watched today because he's the master's uh, brother. No, it's um, <laughs> he. he he and the the master and the uncle character both trained under the same master, and he was the senior, and the uncle was his junior. Okay. So, he, whereas if you train under the same master, you are spiritual brothers. They okay. are spiritual brothers. Thus, he is the uncle. Yeah. So anyway, uncle uncle had a he he gets he gets murdered in like the, like the first scene, and Scorpion ends up with the treasure map, and the rest of the movie it kind of revolves around like which one of these guys that we don't know what his style is a scorpion. And which one of these guys is a good guy that's going to team up with our protagonist to kind of kick some butt? Also, we know four of the five people that are one of the styles, but there's only four people that are clearly a deadly venom. And you have to kind of spend part of the movie figuring out who's the fifth deadly venom going to be. That's another thing, too, is they have not revealed who they keep talking about how like, where's Lizard? Where's Lizard at? And you're like, yeah, where is Lizard? But then Lizard was right in front of you the whole time, and so what? And but you thought Lizard was Scorpion, like that. That's like kind of what's awesome. All There's right. a few cool spots like that. Yeah. Um, in the original script of the movie, Snake was a woman. I always like to give a, uh, a fact, a factoid like that. But um, one thing I'll say about Cheng Che is that his films, they like never have women in them. So like, or or female characters are super sidelined. It's like one my one criticism of like his films in general. And I think it would have been cool if if Snake was a woman, if she was like a badass princess instead of a. Uh, lord or whatever instead been, of a merchant lord yeah that would have been pretty that would have been pretty sweet uh what are some other chang Shea movies for people that are curious uh okay that that would um you gotta give me you gotta give me a is sec is this a franchise nathan no uh, it's not so there are not deadly venoms one through four the, the <laughs> although these kind of movies became called venom movies as long as they had one of the people from this movie in the movie does that make sense yes uh so that's um that's kind of the the like that became like a thing like it had such great success that the the five actors are known as venoms and then any movies they were in are venom movies uh so you know crippled avengers shallon rescuers legend of the fox rebel intruders those are all movies that are um uh crippled avengers i saw and can vouch for though not pc uh yes i also (laughs) have seen uh i like i like i've seen i think three of those movies and i thought they were all fine uh, those are all movies that these this team kind of made together, though. Same team. This is their best movie, though. This is the best one. Um, and if you're looking to get into old school Hong Kong movies, you know, like send us an email. I'll give you um, some other places to start. This is a good one. I don't know if it's the best one, so but it's good. So yep, that's it. That's our movie club for this week for Kevin Garber and Eric Ronnebeck. I'm Nathan Santo, and we'll see you next week. Go Hawks. <laughs>